But I would go to Griffith Park where, where the Hollywood sign is because it's one of the only open spaces there. It's this big open park and I would hike above the Hollywood sign because that felt like a good place to go to if you feel like a failure. You know, I'll go above the Hollywood sign. That seems like a Hollywood thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And um, But I would just go up there and pray. And, and I called it, uh, I would war for hope. And that's what I was doing. I was just declaring promises. You know, I was declaring Bible verses. I was declaring promises that I felt God was doing in my life, even if I couldn't see anything again. You know, so I think it's about getting proper perspective and fighting for that perspective. Hi there, friends. Welcome to episode 53 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bruff. I'm an author and a pastor. And today's guest is Paul Angoni, and we have a really great conversation about his book called 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s, and let's be honest, your 30s as well. Uh, This book is actually a lot of fun, um, and I got a chance to read through a bunch of it, and it's not really just for people in their 20s and 30s. He's interested in asking kind of big life questions along with some some kind of just fun questions as well. But we really focus in on some of the questions that he asks in this book uh, around spirituality and uh, purpose and things like that. And so it, we have a great conversation. Uh, so I, I know you're going to like this one. Uh, some of the things that we end up uh, talking about are what are some of the values that guide your life? Are you open to... Uh, not so random encounters. And then we talk a bunch about the importance of getting away and allowing God to speak into your life and what Paul has found helpful in his own life, um, but also kind of what advice he's passing on to the people that he speaks to on a regular basis, which are mostly 20-somethings, but also 30-somethings. So yeah, I know you're going to like this interview. Um, I apologize as well for last week. I didn't end up putting out a podcast last week. Uh, it was May long weekend here in Canada or Victoria day long weekend. And so I got some uh, time away myself, um, at my mom and dad's place, uh, up in a beautiful part of the world called Lester beach. Uh, so, uh, and we've had unseasonable hot weather here in Manitoba in Canada And so it's just been fantastic to spend time outside and just enjoy the lake and the waterfront. So that's what I was doing, uh, having some some time of rest. Um, Also, there's been busy things going on with uh, church and writing and all of that stuff as well. So I kind of needed to just skip a week of editing before getting out the next one. But uh, we're ready to go this week with Paul Angoni. Uh, I should also remind you as well that if you want to see some notes about it, and now I'm starting to share sort of key learnings that you can just quickly glance at, you can do that by going to the website. So the website is spiritualityforordinarypeople.com. And this episode in particular is uh, spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash Paul Angoni. So P-A-U-L-A-N-G-O-N-E. And from that page, you can also sign up to get a number of things. Um, You can still get a free copy of my book, Let God Be Present, uh, on the main webpage. You can also get a short guide that I've written. It's just about six tips for staying connected with God. Uh, So that's available on the website as well. And you can just find links to 
getting in touch with me or subscribing or the ability to leave a review through iTunes, you can go to the subscribe link for iTunes and it'll take you right to the the podcast there so you can leave a review. Uh, And you can also feel free to support the podcast through Patreon and that just uh, allows you the opportunity to provide a financial contribution and I really do appreciate all of that, uh, whether it's leaving reviews on iTunes um, or providing for this financially. It really uh, does help pay for hosting for the podcast and uh, upcoming equipment costs that I continue to save for. Uh, I am getting a little more active on Instagram these days as well, and you can follow Spirituality for Ordinary People on Instagram, or you can find me there uh, just at Matthew D. Bruff uh, on Instagram. So yeah, this is my uh, long update today, Uh, but now we will get to the interview with Paul. Today on the podcast, I have Paul Angoni. Uh, Thrilled to have you on the show today, Paul. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. um, Paul uh, writes and speaks a bunch about uh, what it's like to be in your 20s, being in that millennial generation, and sort of what are some of the questions that you should be asking or ought to be asking in that time period to try to figure out life. Uh, that seems to be what uh, what Paul is all about. Um, has a new book out as well that is called 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s. And let's be honest, your 30s too. I'm in my 40s. And uh, there were some questions in here that as I flipped through that I thought, oh, that's helpful. I should probably be thinking about that as well. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Even into the 40s. Um, but yeah, I would. Uh, I, I'm really happy to be able to talk to you about this today, and um, I think there's actually some strong connections in this book to spirituality and faith. Um, and maybe I just want to start actually just asking you about people who are in their 20s and maybe into their 30s as well. Seem to be, I my sense is they they're actually spiritually hungry, um, and I don't know what your sense is or or what your observations have been and kind of connecting with that age group around what they're looking for and maybe, maybe why they don't seem to be in church as well. Cause I'm, a yeah, pastor. Yeah. I'm curious about that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great question. And I totally agree with you. I think they are very spiritually hungry. I think this is a generation that is looking for deeper purpose for meaning for significance and you see these words used a lot, you know, they, they throw out these words, but they maybe aren't tying it necessarily to, okay, well, that means I need to go to church. Um, but they are looking for somebody to engage them in that conversation, but maybe in a more subtle, nuanced way. And I think maybe when it's a little uh, heavy-handed or over the top, or maybe something that they even grew up in, where it was, you know, mandatory to go to church... I think they're looking for somebody to engage with them uh, in the struggle, in the questions, in the frustration, in the confusion, all of those things. I know that was my case as well. In my early 20s, I grew up in church, but in my early 20s, I was struggling with this feeling of, man, everybody is so hyped up on Jesus and donuts and the cool music (laughs) and the light show and the hipster service and just everything that church is trying to be to be relevant in a way yeah. that I almost felt like, man, this is such an inauthentic place. And I don't feel like I can be honest here. I feel like this is the last place that I can be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I was even struggling with that feeling of, man, and, and, and for this generation, authenticity really is important. So I think the leaders and the parents or whoever that is willing to even share their struggle 
they will actually earn the trust of this generation. And that's what I try to do in my books and in my speaking and everything is try to earn that trust so that we can go deeper with each other. Yeah, cool. Um, and I, like, I think that really comes out at least the the parts of the book that I was able to read. Um, and I, I kind of want to go through because you, you have 101 questions and maybe just asking a little bit about what, like, why did you have want to format the book that way? Like what, what is it about asking questions maybe as well that uh, why is that the approach? Yeah. Well, you know, if anybody knows my story, my first book that came out about five years ago was called 101 secrets for your twenties. And the backstory behind that is very long, but basically it became, it became a thing because I wrote a blog called 21 secrets to your twenties and it took off. And it kind of became this tipping point for me after eight years of being rejected by every publisher, of failing immensely, of kind of the classic writer story, yeah. right? Yeah. But finally, this blog article take off, took off, so it kind of became its own thing, 101 Secrets to Your 20s. So five years after that, I wanted to do a follow-up to that book. That book has been successful. So from a, uh, from a standpoint of, well, this seems to be working, and right. any author that finds something that's working wants to do it again, right? But but also to go deeper, you know, and I, and I think it, I had a friend recently describe this new book as not a self-help book, but a self-understanding book. And I liked that because I think that's what I'm trying to do. I, I'm not trying to give everybody the answers, but I'm trying to guide them through a process again in a more nuanced way to hopefully pull some answers from themselves that they that they maybe just haven't defined or put into words. And in your 20s, especially, there is so much ambiguity and questions. But I feel like if we're not asking the right questions, well, then gosh, we might be going the complete opposite direction, even though we think we're finding answers, but they're not the right answers because we never started with the right question. Mm-hmm. I was at an event uh, this past year, and uh, one of the people leading us through the event who I'm hoping is going to come on this podcast actually uh, led us through kind of asking questions. We were, it was part of a coaching uh, network seminar that we were about and how to ask better questions in that, in that setting. And, you know, he started pointing out um, that most of what Jesus does in the gospels is ask questions of people. Like they, they ask him questions and mostly he avoids them. Like yeah. he doesn't answer them and then yeah. ask really insightful questions back. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's just kind of curious about the approach, just kind of thinking it actually might be in some ways more helpful than just like a self-help kind of approach. Yeah, it's yeah. Self-examination kind of approach. Yeah, and again, it, and it does, you're right. And it's, uh, I didn't know I was being so like Jesus when writing this book, but that's always a good thing. But <laughs> but yeah, even if you look at the philosophers and too, you know, Socrates yeah, and yeah. Aristotle, it was all about questions. Yeah. And, and you, know, you go to a counseling session, right? And they're not going to give you the answers. Yeah. They're like, they're going to come back with hopefully some deeper questions to, to even get you thinking in a way that you just haven't thought. And for you to come up with the answers that you're hopefully guided through. Mm. And I do think it's way more powerful that way. Instead of here's the formula, here's the seven step plan of how to be successful and just follow these seven steps. And you're going to get to step three and it's going to get too hard and you're going to drop the whole thing. But I sold you the book. So what does it matter? You know, and I, I never want to be that kind of author. Right. Um, and so that's, I guess that's the goal uh, with this. Yeah. Yeah. So what I want to do is kind of look at some of the questions that you ask. And then in some of them, you give sort of advice, some guidance, how to answer those things. Sometimes you just kind of ex- almost explain the question, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd love to just kind of go through some that I picked out. 
Um, and I should say as well, like some of your ways of asking the questions are just a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Really good. Yes. So especially the first one I want to look at, it was question 50 in your book. And it's, am I bathing in disappointment like a cat taking a nap in its own litter box? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, I'm surprised I got that one through with uh, my publisher, Moody. Um, yeah. uh, they're, they're fairly conservative. So I'm actually a little shocked they I'm let that one through. I might have tricked them. That's really good. And part of your answer that you give to that is to relax and have faith. And then you wrote, the more adaptable I am, the more faith I have that God is working things out better than I ever could. Uh, And then a little farther down on that page, uh, you have, if we're only looking at what we can see, we will miss everything else that is going on under the surface. Um, So I'd love it if, uh, again, I think, I think here it's one of those things where you're kind of trying to give guidance into how to answer this question around being disappointed. Um, But I'd love it if you might be able to give an example of this playing out from your own life. Sure. Well, you know, as I maybe I mentioned a little bit when I was talking about my story, but just that season really of my 20s where I felt like a complete failure. I just, nothing was really working out like I planned or like I hoped I kept asking God, you know, when is life going to turn out like it was supposed to? And I remember even that realization of asking that question and being like, well, what is supposed to? Like, what is supposed to? What does that mean? What does that look like? What is my expectations here? And really, it's these expectations of these big billboard moments where everybody's applauding me, where I have a New York Times bestselling book, where I'm up on space. You know, all these kind of like fame and fortune type uh, illusions of kind of what I want life to be like. And it, and, and instead I'm unemployed or working at a call center, uh, taking calls for my right people eight hours a day, uh, and, and wondering, gosh, how long can I do this with my life? So I did, I, I felt very disappointed, you know, but, but as I look back and of course, hindsight is helpful, But I look back to everything that God was doing in my life, everything that he was growing, everything he was teaching me. And really my whole platform today is built off how to help other people go through transition and failure when they feel like nothing's working out. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't gone through that experience myself in a very personal, painful way, then, you know, I don't think I could give very meaningful or authentic advice because I'd be doing it from a place of, well, I have always experienced success, but, uh, if you maybe have failed once or twice, here's how I think you should go through it. So I, I think that's maybe why people resonate with me. And, and, and so that's why I even tell 20-somethings and anybody, you know, that we don't uh, connect with people through our pretend perfection. We connect through our shared struggle. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so trying to be open with that and then realizing, you know, God had a different, a different path uh, than I thought. And he was writing my story all along. I just didn't see it at the time. Uh, and, and so... It, I think it gives us a lot more freedom to trust God, even if we can't see what is going on under the ground. But at some point, hopefully something's going to grow out of there if we keep watering it and staying consistent with it. Mm-hmm. So what what about as well the person whose life is uh, is perhaps truly a wreck and maybe even things that are, that are really well beyond their control, like yeah. experiencing loss or someone living in poverty? Like how... Does does advice differ depending on that circumstance? Like, um, 
you know, first of all, you know, yeah, everybody's got their own story and everybody's got their own challenges and things they go through. And, and there's some really hard stuff. And by, by no means have I gone through the hardest stuff. You hear other people's stories and man, it is heartbreaking. Um, you know, but, but for that person, I, I think the exciting part of that, I'll get to the exciting part is that, you know, I truly believe that God is in the redemption business. I think that's the whole gospel story, right? It's about redemption. And I think, I, I think he loves redeeming people's broken parts of their story, even the parts that they had nothing, no control. You know, they, they were seven year, years old and their parents got divorced and ripped their family apart. They, they were very powerless in that situation. But I think what God loves to do is he loves taking those, those, that pain and the problems and he loves turning it into people's purpose and passion. And, and, and those are the people that are most powerful in helping others go through the similar situation. You know, I think for many of us, I know for myself, you know, usually you grow up, if you grow up in church, like I was in junior high youth group and junior high leaders are typically some, sometimes they're the most, they have the most crazy stories. They were the most jacked up high school kids you'll ever meet. You know, like my youth pastor, he had this crazy scar on his arm from when he lit a chain on fire and wrapped it around his arm to see how long he could hold it there. I think he was probably doing some drugs at the time. You know, he had some crazy stories, but this guy, after he was saved and came to Jesus and wanted to start living a different way, man, he knew how to go help really broken, hurt high school kids and middle school kids because he was one of those. So I I think there's there's some powerful uh, redemption to that aspect. And I, I think we see that play out many times over. So if somebody's right now in that situation, just be like, man, God's going to redeem this. I know he is. Um, but it might not be as soon or as easy as we thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, like the biblical story as well. Like I, we just did a Bible study on Genesis with some of our young adults and um, man, the, like the families in Genesis, it's just a messed up story. Like people are yeah. just totally messed up. Um, but God, it's God's story in the end. Like he's, he's doing something, he's up to something. And in that context, like sometimes it takes generations, like for the promise for Abraham to be fulfilled. It's like, well, Abraham doesn't, he sort of sees it, but he doesn't quite see it. Like it's, it's, it's down the line that God is doing something. So sometimes it can be really hard. Like you're in a situation where, and it's hard to hear, well, God might turn this around and try to have some hope. I think because we're kind of short-term people. You know, whether that's, you know, well, how long are we waiting for something? Are we waiting six months or are we waiting 10 years or are we waiting an entire generation to see the fruit that, that might be coming? Yeah. Um, so I think it is hard. Like, I think, I think it's a good, good message to remind people as well. But I think also God is always up to something and it's kind of a choice of, are we going to, are we going to trust God or not? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's, that's sort of my, my sense. Um, all right. Number, number 53. Um in your book, which I loved. I don't know why these, uh, these are close together. This is, um, the question is, am I going through my day mindful or mindless? And then kind of in the answer, you give four mindset models, and then you have four different questions about each of those. And one of those models you call the monk mindset. Uh, and then I noted as I was reading through, you actually give the most space to the monk mindset than the other three. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and this is kind of connected to what we we're just talking about. Uh, you wrote uh, for a couple of years in my twenties, I felt like a complete mess. Everything inside me felt a whipped mix of anger, frustration, and confusion, unease, and unrest were my constant companions. 
Um, so yeah, like you've kind of talked about being in that time a little bit, but how did you come out of that time? Um, and how is that maybe related to this monk mindset or maybe just tell us what that is first, but yeah, yeah. I, I was just trying to think of different, you know, we hear about mindfulness or, you know, in different ways to think about it, but just this idea of, yeah, being, be, being, having a full mind, being somebody that's intentional with their day and the way you're going about things and processing things and keeping things in perspective. So I think that's what that monk mindset is for me. And it was something I had to really rely on in a sense. And, he, and even love, and I was even, I would love to read books from priests and monks uh, or people that were living, you know, kind of separate and just were living in stillness and silence. And I think that's even so crucial for, ne- for today's age, obviously, because we're living in so much noise. So really silence is pretty radical. Uh, getting away from technology, getting away from everything is pretty radical. It, it's not easy to do. You have to be very intentional to escape technology. I, I don't think technology is bad. I use technology in a lot of ways, but I think we have to have that balance. So for me, when I felt like a failure, I mean, that literally meant, you know, closing my computer and I would, and I was living in LA at the time. So there's not a lot of quiet spaces to get away in LA. If you've ever been there, you know, you're kind of smack dab in the middle of a hundred million people or, or it feels that way. But I would go to Griffith Park where, where the Hollywood sign is because it's one of the only open spaces there. It's this big open park and I would hike above the Hollywood sign because that felt like a good place to go to if you feel like a failure. You know, I'll go above the Hollywood sign. That seems like a Hollywood thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but I would just go up there and pray. And, and I called it, uh, I would war for hope. And that's what I was doing. I was just declaring promises. You know, I was declaring Bible verses. I was declaring promises that I felt... God was doing in my life, even if I couldn't see anything again, you know, so I think it's about getting proper perspective and fighting for that perspective. And, and I think we have to int- be very intentional about, okay, let me keep perspective here. Let me keep perspective. And, and what can I thank God in this? Uh, because thankfulness is, is powerful too, um, along with the silence. And so it's kind of, it feels countercultural, I think, especially in today's world, uh, even more so to get away, be silent and be still. Yeah. And that section you quoted, uh, Thomas Merton, actually. Yeah. Uh, No man is an Island. Um, so another, a Trappist monk, uh, and who obviously had an influence on you. Uh, and then I was reminded too, even just, uh, yesterday, because I've been kind of working through your book, um, you know, didn't turn the radio in the car on in the car and just drove and prayed with my eyes open. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good thing yes everybody was very thankful uh, about that part yeah. but so um but i think that's a great reminder to folks to just say you know this is something that we actually need as well like we um we may not know that we need it and sometimes i think that encouragement to just be still be silent um and and to pray to focus on god to try to listen in a time of prayer and not just speak um, I think that's a, I think that was a great thing to remind people of. Well, thank you. Um, so I appreciate that. And I think, you know, too, we just, we don't want awkward moments in our day anymore, you know, and, and we can escape from any kind of awkwardness, any awkward silence. We can escape with our phone mm-hmm. right away. And I do this all the time. Even if you're fourth in line in the grocery aisle, are you going to stand there awkwardly, awkwardly and maybe have to think or like talk to the person next to you? 
no, I'm going to pull out my phone because I'm going to check my Instagram or Twitter or some, something to fill that awkward moment, you know, mm-hmm. but it's in that awkwardness, you know, that amazing things happen. You know, maybe you meet the person in front of you and that person is you become friends with, or it's a great connection or whatever, you know? And so I think we're really removing all awkward moments and, 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 and in doing that, we're removing, removing kind of amazing moments yeah. as well. Um, and, and I don't do this perfectly, but it, but again, it's something I'm trying to remind myself too. So how did, how did, uh, sort of stillness or silence, like in that time kind of going up hiking, um, and just being still, how did that help you? Like, what did that do for you in that, in that time in your life where things were maybe a little more in turmoil? It's, you know, it's such a rooting process. Like it, it just, it brings those roots down when everything feels like it's shaking and you feel so, um, you know, you just, nothing is set, nothing is steady. That stillness brings those roots down in the ground for me. And it brings that kind of, again, that perspective. And it feels like, okay, God is stable. God is in this. God is who he is. God, you know, and reminding yourself again, that perspective shift so that when everything in your life and in your reality seems to be screaming the opposite, seems to be screaming that, no, you are a failure. No, you don't have what it takes. No, God doesn't love you. You know, all these wars that come against our thoughts it's just that reframing process and man i love that peace that it brings you know i i do it for selfish reasons sometimes just because i know that it brings so much peace and wholeness instead of feeling so fragmented because i'm failing in so many ways yeah i was talking to somebody the other day uh it just might have been a group but um we were like the same thing like i'll go for a walk in in a forest that's close by and and pray while i'm walking but then I'm, I'm tempted to not go because I've got a million things to do, right? So then if I push myself and I go, okay, I'm going to go because I know this is good for me. And then I go and it's like, wow, this was so great. And then I feel guilty because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this. Like I'm selfish for doing this <laughs> and because it's feeding me and I should have been doing other things that were going to help um, be productive or yeah. contribute to somebody else's life in some positive way or whatever. Yeah. And I'm, and I think I'm just not thinking about the long-term benefit as well. Like, yeah, I think feeding me in that moment is actually going to help totally in the long run. Right. Totally. Uh, but I just feel guilty. It's just this, and it's these mind games that we have going on. Yeah. And as I think that, uh, that we're not always fully aware of, but then they're going on in the background that just, yeah. You're right. And especially with, there's a war on our time today, you know, and I have, I'm married, I have three kids, I'm trying to run my own business, you know, there's not a lot of free time. Yeah. But, but, but I, as I wrote in my first book, 101 Secrets of Your 20s, my funny way to put it was refresh yourself before you wreck yourself, you know, to go back to the 90s. But, and, and it's true, you're, you're, you, you, I mean, sometimes you got to get away. Like, I'll, I'll look at my wife, and sometimes my wife will look at me and you'd be like, you know, I think you would do everybody a favor, actually if you step out of the house and go spend some time by yourself for a little bit, just to get away because it can feel like a madhouse in here. So let's take a break. Um, And then you'll come back and you'll, again, it's that perspective thing, you know, and I think it's so crucial to get that perspective for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, Okay. Question 63 in your book was uh, what are my top five soul values? So, okay. So I have a whole bunch of questions about this. Um, yeah. good question, uh, raises, usually raises a whole bunch of other questions. Um, funny how there works. you go. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> like, I'm wondering what is a soul value? What connection do soul values have to God? Um, 
and uh, and and should like if if you think you know what you have as a soul value, I'm kind of assuming I know what it means, but you can explain it to me. Is there ever a time when you should sort of critique your soul value? Like, is are are there is it just anything or? Uh, and if so, how do you critique it? So there's a whole bunch of questions there. So maybe just like, what sure. is a soul value? <laughs> sure. My first thing. Yeah, I guess it was my way just of framing this a feeling of, you know, your, your, your deep values that are informing and guiding you in your decision-making process. Okay. So throughout your day, when you're making strategic decisions, when you're at crossroad moments in your life, big and little, what are the values that you're following back on your soul values there? And I call it soul values because it does, it feels like it's rooted in you. Like it's a part of your design yeah. that you're falling back on and saying, you know, no, I got to stay true to this value. And then in turn, when I don't straight stay true to that, well, then I feel anxious. Then I feel depressed. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like I'm out of alignment, uh, even with God in, in some ways. And so I think even as Christians, this can be a tricky one in a sense, because we, you know, if we ask Christians, like, what are your values? Well, we'll fall back on Christian words to love, to have grace, to have mercy. You know, we fall back on like, oh, well, this is the Christian answer I'm supposed to give. Instead of thinking about, no, like really in the nitty gritty details, like what is guiding your decision? Like, is your, do you have a top value for responsibility? Like maybe you have a real high value for being responsible, like you were the, you were the firstborn child. This is, right. you, this was always you. You were always the responsible one. So it's even the, it's even coming from your past story. And then maybe you marry somebody that they have a value for risk mm-hmm. and adventure, you know? And so even in that case, like they're not, they're not bad values and, and they're not Christian type words, Right. But but when you look at your life, it's like, no, I want risk. I want adventure. I want responsibility. And I want safety. Well, you can even see how those values could be in high conflict if they're not discussed and kind of uh, fleshed out as far as how does this play out in right. our lives. Right. So, you know, it, it is a tough exercise. So I even talked in my book, you know, I, I tell people, list your five values. Mm-hmm. And I want you to put number one as your number one. Your number, you know, this is this is the top. And, uh, and then two and three and so forth, because I had a mentor do this with me, a guy named Ray Rude in my twenties. And it was a really hard and eye-opening exercise to be like, oh, wow, authenticity is an important value of mine. It's probably like number two, uh, behind, you know, uh, righteousness, which I define like a right relationship with God. That was like my number one. I want to have a right relationship with God and authenticity is number two, which is kind of what wrapped into that. Uh, so I think it's very eye-opening for anybody in their age to do this, even if you think you know your values. Right, right. Um, and then I kind of want to, like you're kind of saying a bit about how they these values have a connection to God, but also a caution to sort of just don't fall back on sort of Christian Christian language all the time of what you think your values should be. Yeah. Trying to identify how, like, what are you really operating out of, right? Yeah. Um, but then... there's maybe another trick that (laughs) or a tricky thing that I see anyway is then like, can we then critique those values? Like, I think there could be value in figuring out what these five values are and then really asking the question, like, is that really what I want my values to be? Sure. Um, Yeah. And maybe it could be coming from, uh, you know, like a defense mechanism. Yeah. 
which you kind of learned, especially growing up, you know, uh, yeah. it could have been a defense mechanism that you just, you have a value for, you know, let's say like, I was just talking to a, a friend of mine who's in full-time comedy and she, and she was talking to me about how, you know, I, I'm in this business because I am such an insecure person. Hmm. And I, and I learned early on that if I could make somebody laugh, then they wouldn't ask me any hard questions. I wouldn't have to really show myself, even though I'm up on stage, I don't have to show myself. So she was even working through that, this, this value of making people laugh, but well, let me go deeper in that. And maybe I need to be willing to be vulnerable uh, as well. So you're, you're right. In some ways we do have to figure out, okay, is this the, is, is this a, there is some truth here, but is this value being put in its proper place? Or maybe how do I tweak or pivot this value? Um, Because maybe it's overwhelming my life when it needs to be in some sort of balance. And maybe it is kind of in uh, conflict with a value that God would want me to do, uh, you know, like actually, you know, serving and loving others. Uh, And so maybe I need to think about that as well. But it's a great process to think about and to wrestle with. And it is tough. It's tough. It takes time. And that's something you have in that, in that question or in that chapter, I guess, um, you even say like, this is one of those things you're going to have to keep coming back to. Yeah. I mean, probably lots of them. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a lifetime thing. I mean, yeah. this book really could be called 101 questions. You should keep asking like every year, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, but that doesn't sell as many copies, you know? So, true, true. Yes. Uh, but you're, you're right. It's a, it's a process and you're even asking this throughout your day. You know, it's even, it's even, okay. I'm getting this opportunity even, you know, and that's the, that's the interesting thing too, is even if you're getting an amazing opportunity, amazing promotion, amazing job opportunity, a book deal to even bring that amazing opportunity and say, well, does this align with my values? Does this align with where I want my future story to go? Right. Well, maybe I have to say no to this, even though on paper, it's going to pay me a lot of money or it seems like this makes sense, but actually it doesn't align with my values at all. So I better say no to this right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really do like the idea of, of trying to examine, like, what am I really, like, how am I living my life? Like, what are the, what are the five things that are, that are important to me? They're guiding my life. And then maybe asking those second, secondary questions about it. Is that really what God wants? Yeah. So if you're, if one of your values is like, don't trust anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do it all your um, own. Be a lone yeah. ranger. Don't trust yeah. people. Yeah. Um, then you know, I don't know that that really jives with what the Bible says about yeah. God and how we're supposed to be in community with one another. But yeah. I'm often tempted to just say, no, like I've been let down by a bunch of people. So yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rely on anyone else anymore. Yeah. Um, but again, that's maybe coming out of a story, like the same as your comedian friend there, sort of what's behind that value that's been there. I think that's a great exercise because I think if you write them down, you might automatically see one and think, Oh, I am kind of doing that. And I don't know if I'm happy about that. Yeah. Um, like how do you then kind of shift your thinking to to try to maybe redirect those values to have them um a little more rooted in what you think God might want for you? Yeah. And and it gives a lot of clarity even too with the, you know, I think a lot of people feel anxious at work. Yeah. They feel like the work really isn't a good fit for them. And it's not necessarily a skill or a strength-based issue. It's a value issue, you know? And for me, I always felt like I had a strength in communication. Like I should do a, like I should do a sales job, but then I was always very uh, terrible at sales jobs. 
Like I was terrible at sales jobs. I couldn't sell a thing. And, and I started realizing, well, gosh, it's because it's in conflict with that value of authenticity. So actually my value of authenticity actually trumps my strength of communication. It's no longer a strength because I can't talk about it because I don't believe in it and a value of mine is authenticity. Mm-hmm. So it even is an interesting thing to even compare it with your strengths and your skills to see, okay, well, how do these all mesh together? And maybe I'm feeling very anxious at work because I'm working 75 hours a week and I, I say I have this value for family and yet I don't ever see my family. Well, okay, I'm making $200,000, but I feel terrible. Well, it's because there's a value that you have to address in that. Yeah, and I think maybe there's a connection there too about, um, you know, what you're passionate about. Like, that doesn't necessarily always fit either. (laughs) So I think it's, it's it's a really tricky thing to try to navigate. Like, this is maybe why this is such a difficult uh, age as well. And not that we necessarily have this all figured out, um, you know, a couple of decades later. Uh, but, um, but I, this is why I think this is very hard because you're just forming, like trying to figure out, well, what are my values? How am I operating out of these? But then you might be really passionate about something, but you're not particularly skilled in that area either. So how do you put all that together? Like these are, anyway, people should, they're listening to this hearing our struggle with it, they should go get your book because it is really good guidance to try to how, how do you think through some of these things and not necessarily giving, like, I think you do a great job of not giving people easy answers. Like just here's a pat answer to this. It's almost like here's a pointer to a process that you can go through. Yeah. Help you discover this and figure this out. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's well done. Um, okay. Uh, 78, because this is, this is a great question. Number 78 in your book. I'm not going to go all the way to the end. Um, am I seeing my own life for the crazy miracle that it is? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, and I think this is super important, um, but maybe you can tell us why this is such an important question, especially uh, for people in their 20s, 30s, probably for everyone, but but especially for that age group. Yeah, you know, I think... Uh you know, I've, 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 I get a lot of emails over the years. I've been doing this for almost, uh, I've had my website up for about seven years. You know, I've been writing about this for a long time and my heart really goes out to this generation because again, I felt like a failure, um, for so long, but also I get, I, I receive so many emails from people who say, I feel so alone. I feel like a failure. Where is God in this? Where is all this stuff? And so again, this question about, are we seeing our own lives for the crazy miracle that it is? Again, it's just a perspective question, I think. Again, keeping things in proper perspective. And if you look at the odds, you know, and I try to break that down. If you, if you read different scientists and as they try to break down the odds of, you know, your parents meeting and your grandparents meeting and all the generations going back and all the DNA, I mean, it's mind boggling to think about, you know, that it's like rolling a trillion side dice, you know, and landing on the same number, like every time, you know, it's... Yeah. It, and so I think it's just good. I, I don't I don't say this in like a narcissistic way or oh look at me or I'm so but but I think there is that that idea that you know being fearfully and wonderfully made you know that we are God's creation that He loved us before we were born He knew us in our mother's womb you know these kind of verses I think are speaking to that and so I think we're we're all dripping with intentionality from our, our the intentional Creator. And so I think that then gives us permission to be like, okay, I am a son and daughter. I am a part of this family. 
And I'm created by the most amazing creator in the world. So what can I create? You know, what, what is my, what I call my, you know, your signature sauce, which is my metaphor for talking about kind of your calling, your purpose, these different ingredients that are within you that you're kind of figuring out right now. You're, you're putting them together and you're creating this flavor that the world really needs. And we desperately need people that are bringing out that kind of crazy miracle in them and, and connecting with others. And, and, and that's a crazy miracle in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I like too that uh, in the answer you give, like you quoted, like you just did from Psalm 139. Um, but then you also bring it back to stillness, which kind of surprised me as well. Like you have, um, you quote, like kind of quote from Psalm 46, just be still and know that I am God. But you, you write to be still and know that God has been actively engaged in your life since before it began. Yeah. Um, I think is really cool that it's sort of like, okay, if you're going to realize that your life is a miracle, that you've been like, that you're here maybe for a purpose for, um, that God has a, has something for you. Um, and that God has been doing that all along. Like it takes sort of stepping back and being still and, and acknowledging that. Yeah. 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 Again, there's such a, uh, a rudeness there. Like it's going back before you were even born, you know, so gosh, that perspective of it all. And that's why I even tell people like, man, if you don't think you're here for a reason or a purpose, or if you feel like you're an accident, well, you have more faith than me because the math of it all right. is telling me that if this is an accident, wow, you yeah, I mean, that's, that's hard for me to believe, you know, in that sense, you know, there is so much purpose just drenched on you and, and so I, you know, it's just fun to think about and even fun. And I ask a question in the book too, you know, are you recognizing the not so chance encounters in your life? Hmm. And I, and I think about that too, you know, like, and I have these stories of, you know, when I sat on that plane next to that gal and instead of just putting on the headphones, you know, I actually talked to her mm-hmm. and then that conversation led me to meeting this person who led me meeting and all you look at and it's like, wow, the chances of us on the same plane sitting next to each other, like it's mind blowing. And so even recognizing that, like how is God orchestrating these details and and are we open to those and, uh, and allow ourselves to be fluid and flexible to say, God, what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, And that's a, it's a fun place to operate from. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is a lot of fun. actually. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's very good. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, like we're uh, man, I've got lots of questions, but well, you've got a hundred. <laughs> yeah, your whole book of questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've kind of fo- I've kind of focused purposely because of the, this podcast is about uh, spirituality, kind of focused on some of the questions that are kind of more spiritual in nature. Yeah. Say, but that's not necessarily the the, the whole focus of the book. Um, so I don't know if you want to uh, like. Is there one question that? that you really want to kind of bring up that you think is, uh, is kind of fun or maybe not even on the topic that we're talking about right now. Oh man, that, that's a good question. Good question about all the questions. Um, man, you know, I don't know. I, there's, there's a lot of them. It's, it's always asking me like, you know, what's your favorite child? I, I never really have a good answer to that. Well, there, there you go. There you yeah. go. Um, you know, I, I think I'll ask one that is not necessarily fun, but I think it's a good one to keep us all thinking about this. This question I ask of, am I struggling to make it appear like I'm not struggling? Hmm. And I think this is a good question for parents, 
of 20-somethings, for leaders of 20-somethings, for 20-somethings themselves, for everybody. It doesn't matter the age range. But I think we all have this propensity to, to feel like, you know, I have to struggle to make it appear like I'm not struggling. Like I have to make it appear like I have it all together. Right. But I would actually say it's the opposite, especially if you're parenting an adult child. I think, it, and or if you're leading a millennial in, this, in the office space, I think it's paramount that you are willing to be open and honest and vulnerable to even share a piece of your struggle with the people you're parenting or, or that you're leading, because that allows them to enter into that story with you. And it allows them to start building trust mm-hmm. with you because now you're letting them in. You're showing them that you don't have it all together and they know that you don't have them have it all together. They, they know that. So you're just telling them what they already know, but then, then you're allowing them to come with their struggle and then you're having this amazing conversation. Um, and, and I think that's, there's some power into that, especially for 20 somethings that, that are even scared to talk about what they're struggling with because they don't want to make it seem like they're failing. And, and so you have to be willing to go first in that respect, especially if you're leading or parenting, like go first in this. And, and that'll create this amazing space for honest conversation. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I always ask uh, every guest as well, what your own personal spiritual practice looks like? Like, how do you stay connected or what do you do to connect with God on a regular basis? And we've kind of been touching on that. A yeah. Little. We've been talking, but was there anything else you wanted to add to that? Or is there anything that you do in your daily life or even your family? Yeah, you know, I think it's that routine factor, especially as you have kids and you're so busy to try to just to embed it in your day to day, everything. And I think that's what I'm trying to do that whole like pray continually thing, you know, where you're not setting yourself uh, apart, you're not having to go to that quiet space so that you can pray, but you're praying in the midst of all the noise to bring the quiet space to where you are. Mm. And I think that's what I'm trying to do now, especially as a dad of a seven, five and a year and a half year old, you know, it's really hard to, to tuck away, but sometimes there has to be that drastic, like I need to get in nature and just sit on a rock and, and be still and know, you know, that thing that we talked about earlier, but, but trying to bring the silence within the noise, man, I think that's hard and radical and something that I need to keep working on. Yeah. For sure. Um, I think as well, like uh, biblically, like sometimes we think, oh, we have to have, okay, I've got to read the Bible every day and I'm going to do that at six in the morning, you know, 